0: If all are able to please stand for the first lesson. Looking at the first five verses from Isaiah 62, listen now to the Word of God. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a burning torch the nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the lord will give you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your god you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall be, shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the lord delights in you and your land shall be married for as a young woman marries a young as a young man marries a young woman so shall your builder marry you and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your god rejoice over you and this is the word of the lord thanks be to god please be seated
1: I invite you to stand as you are able that we might hear the reading of the gospel from the second chapter of John. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and His disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to Him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman? What concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever He tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purifications, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. Jesus said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the wine, the water that had become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guest have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of His signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Jesus told His servants, put some wine in those jars and draw some of it out like what was to be given there was to be renewed and provided for. There was a situation of scarcity, and Jesus provided abundance. Jesus changed water into wine, and He did this because His mama told Him to do it. A rabbi friend of mine once told me that this really does prove that Mary was the quintessential Jewish mother, though I've seen a number of other mothers who, in other cultures from other faiths who would possibly tell their child to do something else, which, of course, it sounds as if there's almost a sense of embarrassment about Jesus, that Jesus says, My hour hasn't come. Mama, let me let me handle this. But He does. And He demonstrates His power and His grace. And the disciples believed in Him because of this sign. What happens when we are drawn out of the vessels that contain us where we live our lives? What happens when we are drawn from those places that hold us and we go out into the larger world. What do we offer the world? The wine that came out of those jars was the best stuff. How do we offer our best? Isaiah's prophecy shared a vision for a new land. The children of Israel had been in bondage in Babylon, they had been sent there because the Babylonians had defeated them in battle and they took some of their leaders and some of their people and they transported them hundreds of miles away. But when the Persian Empire came into power and defeated the Babylonians, they took those Jews and they said to them, you may return to your homeland. And they did. And Isaiah's prophecy in that sense was about this return. And it was a song of hope and a song of celebration. No more will anyone call you rejected. Your country will no longer be ruined. You will be called Hefezibah, or my delight, and your land Beulah, which means married, because God delights in you, and your land will be like a wedding celebration. Beulah. Your land is Beulah. It will be a place of wonder and delight. It will not be rejected and ruined. It will be the place of celebration and hope. That is what your land will be. That was the promise that the children of Israel lived in and sought. Beulah as a place name has taken on many other consequences and and ties through the years. The poet John Bunyan created Beulah as a a location in his work, The Pilgrim's Progress. In that poem, Christian, who is the character, the every-person character, um, makes a journey through life, and it is an allegory of the Christian life and faith. And he has a companion who is named Hopeful who helps encourage him along the way. And as they are progressing toward the celestial city, which is the ultimate destination they seek to reach, they pass through several lands, and they come to the land of Beulah. And Beulah is the land that uh, is adjacent to the river of death and Beulah is the place of preparation for crossing over the river of death and into the celestial city. Beulah is that place of celebration. It is a place of delight. It is a place of preparation and of hope. To be taken from bondage and go into Beulah is extraordinary. Maybe it would be like being water in a jar that is drawn out and is now wine, but not simply any wine, the best wine. Do you and I change when we are drawn out? Is there a challenge when we find ourselves in new circumstances? Can we be like that water that was pulled forth from those jars that Jesus called for a while back, I heard a radio report entitled, You'll Be a Different Person in Ten Years. Psychologist Daniel Gilbert had spent a good many years studying human people. That is what psychologists do. What is it that happens in life? And he, and he had noted, as many others have noted, that early in life it is quite noticeable and distinguishable how people change. And A child is born they are an infant. And then they grow. They learn to, uh, to move, and they learn to communicate. They learn to walk and then run, and then they grow in their abilities. And so, into adolescence and then young adulthood. And those things happen in relatively short order, days, months, or a period of some years. But once we arrive at young adulthood, It's common, the psychologist Gilbert said, it's common for us not to think about or think that we change very much. We get to a certain place and, do we change? And he said, he surveyed a number of individuals and asked them, do you change? People in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, have you changed much? No, I'm pretty much the same way I was, you know, when I got to adulthood. He wanted to drill down on that and see how it worked. And so he he came up with a question, how have you changed in the last 10 years? What are the ways that things are different today than they were 10 years ago? And by giving that 10-year window, people began to say, yeah, I'm a little different than I was 10 years ago. I'm a little different. And we are. And change happens over time. It happens sometimes maybe not very fast, but in perceptible and measurable and demonstrable ways. Think about that question. How have you changed over the last ten years? Permit me a personal reflection on that. Um, ten years ago, I thought that I was going to be an installed pastor of a church, which meant I would be there for some undetermined length of time, permanent, if you will, instead of a transitional pastor, which I have found myself in those roles. I thought that was the way that I would be ten years ago. But the calls that God has provided for me, the opportunities to serve, have been in transitional situations, and I have benefited by that. I have been blessed by congregations in Atlanta and in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and in Trinity, Florida, uh, in Trinity Church in Clearwater, Florida, and in now here in Columbus. I have been blessed by you and in those other churches. I have grown in my faith and my understanding. And what I thought would be the way of my service as. A pastor has not been the way it was. It's certainly not what I in thought would happen when I went to seminary all those years ago. I've changed. I've changed in my understanding of how I am to serve and where I am to serve. And it's been good. It's been good. But I've not simply changed in my life as a pastor, I've also changed in some personal ways as well. Ten years ago, I thought that people who ran were simply crazy. They were, in my mind, they were, they were kind of like people that jump out of airplanes. Why does anyone want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? But they do, and I know skydivers enjoy that. And, and, uh, it, it's a wonderful thing to do, but it wasn't for me. And I thought running, and really, just a whole regimen of exercise, I really didn't do it. I really wouldn't need to do it. I could take care of myself. Thank you very much. But then things changed. A few years ago, I had an encounter with my own mortality and I knew that I had to make some changes in my life and that I needed to get better control over my diet and over my exercise. And so I began a program of exercise, and I actually began a time of running. Running may be too generous a word for it. It's more like uh, a jog and a walk. But it was meaningful. I won't say it was pleasurable. It was meaningful and I benefited from it, and I gained from it, and I regained health from it." If you allow yourself your own reflections over how you have changed over the last ten years, I'm pretty sure that you will see you are not exactly the person you were then. You may live in a different place. You may have a different job. your family circumstances may have changed in some way or another. But no matter whether you're 15 or 75, no matter where you are in your lifespan, things will change. It's simply part of the way we live life. The same is true for the church. The same is true not just for this church, but for the church, for the world that we, that we live in. We live in changing times, in times of transition and, and uh, uncertainty and difficulty. Yesterday, about 50 folks gathered here in the fellowship hall, those who have been elected by you, the congregation, to serve as a ruling elder. In our Presbyterian system, a ruling elder is a church member who is elected to serve on the session or the governing council of the church, the local council. But you're not simply elected to serve the local church. You're elected to serve the church in connection with other bodies and other ways about serving the church of Jesus Christ. And in a way, we all are called to that sort of ministry, but these individuals in particular. And so we came together to talk about things that are happening in the church and for here, but also in the world. Some of those individuals… or actually all those individuals were elected by a Presbyterian church. And whether or not you're elected to be a ruling elder in this church or in any other Presbyterian church, you're a ruling elder no matter what. It goes with you until you say it doesn't or until you die. It is one of those things that hangs with you continually. And we came together to share wisdom, to talk, and to grow together. One of the things that came up in that time together, one of the, ca- the things that, that emerged was how… Uh, were reflections on how things are different now than what they used to be. We didn't explore time frames, but as I recall those conversations yesterday, there was a sense in which we were talking about how the world is different in 2016 as opposed to how the world was different in 1966 and certainly it is, and we all understand that. But the world is also different in 2016 than it was in 2006. How is that? In this church, the statistical report from 2006 indicated there was a membership of 1,100 members. But the most recent statistical report completed here in December just last month, showed a membership of 603. And if you look at the statistics, you'll see that that was not simply a complete drop-off. There were places where it was sharper than others, but there was a decline, a decline in membership and in attendance from then to now. And in some ways, that's not Uncommon with the ways that other Christian congregations are experiencing the world. We live in a, in a society in a, a, that, that has changed. Someone mentioned yesterday that Wednesday night used to be sacrosanct for church activity, and we know that it's not anymore. There are different days and activities, even Sunday morning. There's a lot of competition, and so it is good that we are here. It is good that we have friends who have joined us via television to worship. You have chosen to spend your time in growth and in worship in this way today. And that is good. But the world is changing around us. The world is changing. And yet, even though as we change, there are ways to see, see that we are not simply regressing, but we are, in fact, moving forward. Today during the Sunday school time, we began a confirmation class. Confirmation is a class that's offered to sixth and seventh grade students. And it's a way for them to work on a statement of faith, for them to say, I believe, to claim the things that we share in church. It is an opportunity for them and for their families, and for the whole family of God in this congregation to say praise God and to say we join together in believing God is our Creator and that Jesus is our Savior and that the Spirit provides us with the breath of life. That is a good thing, and that continues to go on. In addition, next week, as Jones mentioned, we will have a new member class, and we've had individuals say, I want to join First Presbyterian Church. I want to be a part of the body here. That is a powerful testimony, a powerful testimony that we are here together to share God's love in this place. Another measurement that's used to say, where are we, is to look and talk about money. Over the last ten years, not only has the um, amount of giving to the church decreased as the membership has, but something else has happened. Those of us who have remained here are giving more, and I think that's a metaphor not simply for how we are using our uh, financial resources, but how we're using our time, how we're extending ourselves to express our connection with each other, to share God's good news through this place, through this corner, through the mission work that we are engaged with around the world, how we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus was called to demonstrate a miracle at that wedding in Cana. He quite clearly didn't think he was ready. And we could go on and on about about that, but that's another topic. But what happened was there was something that was lacking at the wedding reception, and it was pointed out, and Jesus did something about it. And the something Jesus did about it was not simply good enough, but it was the best. We live in a world where there are things that are lacking. There are challenges that we face individually as a congregation, as the church of Jesus Christ around the world. There are challenges that we face. There are conversations that need to be had. Yet, even in the midst of that, as Jesus told the servants put water in the jars, Jesus offers to us, put water in our own jars, and then let ourselves be drawn out with the best to share in the world that is around us. Like Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus' miracle looks at the being drawn out to create a new place another Beulah, if you will, so that we may be a place of wonder and beauty in the world, a testimony for those who see us and live with us and for the world and an invitation, an invitation for others to come and join with us. Let us give thanks to God for that. Amen.